Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 232. I think I've got some spare eyes somewhere. This week we're discussing series 10, episode 5 of Doctor Who, Oxygen, and season 7, episode 18 of Buffy, Dirty Girls. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay. So, oxygen. Mm-hmm. You can't live without it. No. Um, at least, you know, m- most creatures. There are some organisms, I guess, that are able to breathe other things, but we can't. We can't. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, nor can whatever Dabren is uh, right. live without it. Uh, but we don't want to be racist, so we'll try not to single him out too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So this episode, I feel like, um, I mean, there's some beginning bits, but I kind of want to handle those at the end with like the whole vault and like Nardal, like... Mm-hmm chastising the doctor and kind of that because like there's sort of a frame here which we've had pretty much every episode so far right there haven't been any any episodes sort of without reference to the doctor being in charge of this vault right Um, yeah i don't think we've had any without either at the beginning or the end right they might not have literally this might be the first one where it's on both ends you know where there's like a, a reminder at the beginning and then we loop back around to it at yeah. the end to right. see like some consequences Ma- to that responsibility. Maybe my use of frame is technically incorrect. Cause like, yeah, like maybe there are episodes where we don't have it at both ends, but it's um, well, I mean, there certainly are episodes where we don't have it at both ends. Cause you get like, they go from like the Smileyville to the ice palace, right? Or the mm-hmm. ice, uh, the frost fair. That's what I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of. So like, like yeah, like there's no like intervening check on the vault in between those episodes. But like, right. But here it's definitely. But like at a least frame, from yeah. a from a like larger seasonal frame of sort of why he's at this university and what he's doing, you know, taking care of this vault and that kind of thing. Like there's there's like a general seasonal frame going on. So anyway, um, all of that to say, I don't want to talk about that up front. Uh, I'd rather just like, once they get into the TARDIS and like, hear this distress call, right? Like that's the impetus for them to actually go to this. Well, the doctor kind of goes without sort of asking Bill. Um, I mean, he does yeah, ask she, her. Like, uh... Sorry, go ahead. Well, so... Yeah, he asks her to pick a spot, and then she wants to, like, pick based on reviews, like, let's read Yelp reviews for the cool sites to sort of see. They don't have that, so she sort of picks something at random, and then he basically just overrides her and says, ah, this distress signal, we'll do that. So it's, like, kind of definitely not her choice to go here. (laughs) 
so yeah so they go to this space station and like i was trying to i couldn't remember and i didn't i didn't write it down but um like is there the station has a name but we don't know like the company name right unless it's like part of the station Um, i don't think so i was just trying to look it up and i don't see anything yeah so it's just this sort of like nameless space station it's like a mining colony or not a colony but like they're doing some kind of mining Mm-hmm. Um, although it's not entirely clear because like they don't it doesn't seem to be like on like an asteroid or something it's just kind of out in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. um, so I'm not sure what actually where they're actually mining things from um, not Tillium no well it's copper right like don't they talk oh, about like it, having, do they say that? Okay. having like all this copper that's like basically gotcha. worthless um, why copper would be worthless I'm not entirely sure but um, I mean, I know it's not like more precious metals like gold or palladium or something, but you know, um, maybe it's maybe there's just like an overabundance of copper elsewhere in the world um, mm-hmm. or in the universe or whatever. Um, yeah, but like, there's there's a reference there to like, um, isn't there of like, you know, oh, do you have anything like worth stealing? When they're trying to figure out like who would be messing with the suits they first sort of think it might be like pirates or something and is it you know do you have anything we're stealing and they're like no we just have like all this copper <laughs> that we've mined mm. and there's not like it's not really worth much um but that's kind of skipping ahead because like the first sort of introduction we have um even before like the doctor and bill go there is with the suits right of these two people doing like a spacewalk and running out of air and then mm-hmm. one of them uh who wants to admit her feelings now that you know she's at the end of her life finally come to you know admit the way that she feels but her suit's not reacting uh the proper way and so of course she turns into a zombie and attacks the guy um yeah as you do as one does uh I mean, it's not really her, though. It turns out it's the suits. The suits, like, sort of take over and mm-hmm. um, start uh, doing away with their organic components. Um, uh, like, deactivating, right? Their organic components, which, of course, right. are the people right. inside of them. Um, so by the time the Doctor and, and Bill and Nardal, who sort of finds himself uh unwillingly part of the group this time um part mm-hmm. of the part of the you know one of the companions like the literal companions of traveling with the doctor um and not too happy about it uh yeah i kind of forgot that it takes this long before he goes on one of the adventures like Mm-hmm. he's definitely in every episode but only for like a couple minutes up until this one is the first one where um and i guess sort of in the pilot but um but this is the first sort of off-world sort of deliberate adventure where he is along for the ride um yeah, yeah. right he's like the doctor like sends him off for tea and then they go like on two separate adventures like while he's getting tea right like right and then uh yeah like he he, they just like kind of skirt around his being there um 
Right. And, and there's a, you know, typical kind of like nod to canon while not really caring too much to be faithful to it at the same time with um, the fluid link, which uh, I've been watching some of the classic series and, you know, the fluid link is sort of there from way back in the beginning. So it's kind of, you know, referencing that to have Nardle say, I, I stole the fluid link. But then, of course, the only reason we think the fluid link matters is because the doctor told us so. So that's inherently unreliable information. And apparently he can just go without it. So. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Um. Rule yeah, one. well, because, like, really, I mean, as we've learned in the past, uh, the the true method of flying the TARDIS is to try to reason with it, and usually unsuccessfully. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so they arrive on the station um, and sort of initially get by with... Uh, using like air from the vast recesses of the TARDIS to like, mm -hmm. um, you know, give them breathable air, but then find out that like, that's apparently not allowed. Like you can't bring your own air to the space station. Only, only air that is supplied by the station's owners, the, or, excuse me, the company that owns the station um, is allowed in order to, uh, keep market value. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, long story short, we don't have to go through with like how they find out all this stuff, I guess. But like, long story short, these shoots, these suits, it seems, are being turned off uh, by the company because the workers are, are too expensive to keep alive. And so um, the suits are deactivating their organic components and uh trying to save the air i guess that um that is there although so here's the thing all right so you know me i'm a free market capitalist libertarian type uh-huh this is what so I, we were we were we were talking before we started recording and i was sort of saying um I've been very curious ever since this episode aired what you might make of it, and I've deliberately not asked you. Uh, so, um, so got, we're not. I'm not sure where this is going to go. So we're just going to sort of. I've set got it free. some. I've got some issues. Not even necessary. So, so here's the thing. Like, I, I'm not going to say that like companies are always right and have never done anything bad and have never like hurt the people who work for them because that's clearly not true but i think just in terms of like i think if people were honestly like working i i'm okay with stories that are anti-capitalist stories so long as the people who write them are honest about the way that they like work out the things as they happen in their world mm -hmm. and to give what i think is a really great example of that would be ursula k Le Guin's the dispossessed Mm -hmm. Le Guin is not a capitalist. She, like, personally 
I know this from reading her nonfiction, some of it, uh, is is an anarchist, but of the sort of syndicalist uh, variety, um, mm-hmm. which is sort of what is portrayed um, in one of the planets in The Dispossessed. And then the other planet is a more ostensibly capitalist, you know, sort of more like the U.S., although she does sort of, she does at least try to, like, include elements of, like, other cultures, too. It's not, like, just, like, the U.S. versus this, like, sort of made-up utopia, which Mm -hmm. is not really much of a utopia. But so, like, I think the way that she works that out is, like, she's really honest and shows that there's good and bad in both sort of situations and mm-hmm. you know systems and neither is necessarily like the panacea that you know maybe hard-boiled proponents of either one would would say it is mm-hmm. um so that would be that would be sort of a counter i would say to this episode cuz mm-hmm. here's my problem with it if it's true that the company is really worried about like the market value of oxygen and paying customers and having customers who are actually alive to be able to pay. It wouldn't do things like randomly open up the doors and vent out all of the oxygen in the station, which it does Mm -hmm. at one point. Mm -hmm. Certainly a company that is technologically sophisticated enough to build the type of base station that gets built would also be sophisticated enough to like just withhold oxygen, but like keep it in its tanks and then sell it at whatever rate it wants to sell it at. Like, like Mm -hmm. there are just some really simple, more cost effective, if that's what you're going for, ways to, to do the sorts of things that, a big bad company like this might do mm-hmm. that aren't like just opening the doors and letting all of the air out. Um, mm-hmm. That just seems counter to the stated sort of, if we believe, and I don't, you know, I, mm-hmm. like we, I, we don't even know the name of the company. Like I can't pretend to know like what the people who are in charge of the company are thinking. Mm-hmm. But if we believe like the doctor's assessment and, you know, the assessment of the workers and all of that, I just, it just like those two things don't square up to me. I also think that like the fact that we don't know the name of the company and like the fact that it's just sort of this baseless corporate entity in which we are meant to assume that like it's sort of monolithic and top down and all of that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of too easy. Like to me, like, yeah, mm-hmm. everyone hates Verizon. We get it. Like, but I've also worked for big companies that everybody hates. A big company that a lot of people hate. And I also know that like internally there were a lot of people who had a lot of different ideas and like it's not this sort of monolithic faceless thing that everyone sort of from the outside sees either. And I think mm-hmm. that's probably true of a lot of big companies that Yes, for various reasons, like decisions get made and there are things that happen top down, but that doesn't mean that there's like, like everyone who works for that company is like evil and bad and like wants to screw over the customers and like lower down employees and like all of that type of thing. So I just, 
my sort of irritation is that simplicity of looking at this type of thing in such a very simplistic and like idealistic way. Mm -hmm. So that's where most of my comments will likely step. I just wanted to sort of bring yeah. that up. Well, and I, I don't think you're alone in that. And I think even from people who would be more sympathetic to the anti-capitalist sentiments than you are agree with that. Like, um, I think this is generally a well-reviewed episode of in its execution, mm -hmm. I think. Like... It seems like, and I think it seems like you and I agree with this too, like, and we can get more into like the atmosphere it creates or the character mm -hmm. interactions or the specific like story turns or the dialogue, like those things, it's um, a well done episode, but in, and in the way that it kind of presents sort of capitalism as the big bad of the story, it seems to me that both capitalist-leaning people and maybe more, you know, socialist-leaning people agree that there's a simplicity that does not really do service to either ideology. You know, like, it, it doesn't really give as much credit to the complexities from either point of view, really. Because, um, I, I mean, like, you know, you're making a good point, like, why would you vent the air when you could save it and resell it to somebody else? Like, right. to, you know, sell it to living people who, um, but then, I mean, the other thing that I, I think for me, the most glaring, like, uh, you know, weak point is, um, the kind of throwaway ending of, oh, we went and complained and there was a rebellion and that was it for capitalism. Like, really? That's all it takes is like, you you get a couple people to give some sternly worded letters to the home office and that's right. it for an entire economic system in like the whole of that's the galaxy been around for millennia at that point like yeah yeah like people have been leading rebellions and and you know railing against this stuff for a long time you know for better or for worse or some Efforts and more some the it, other way, like there have been people who've led rebellions for capitalism against whatever they've been in you against know, so communism like, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, like it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't just go away because of one successful like strike or something, right? right? right. Um, and you know, okay, it's just the ending of the story. It doesn't really change what happens in the story, but I think it it is consistent with a larger sort of maybe ideological simplicity about the themes that it's working yeah. with that, um, you know, again, and it seems to me that people on many different political sides agree that like, wait a minute, there's, there's a frustrating kind of shallowness to its, you know, the political aspects of the story. Um, yeah. Whereas, like, people who felt very strongly about these things on both sides could make much more sophisticated arguments than, um... Sure. You and know? that's where, like, again, like, I think 
And I wonder if it would have been maybe a little more effective had it not sort of tried to be overt about it and name checked exactly what it was talking about. Like the fact that even the word capitalism is repeated so many times. Like, I wonder if, if the themes would have been more effective if they were a bit more implied, Um, Mm. which maybe not. I mean, maybe, you know, I know it's, it's very much a thing right now. Like, you know, a lot of people are very politically motivated at the moment and that's, Probably as it should be. And so I think on the one hand, I can see the argument that it's actually kind of exciting to have it like overtly in text, like rather than just let everything be metaphor, like let's actually like talk about this stuff in an episode of Doctor Who and use the words like. I think that's a valid kind of argument, but I think it I think the fact that he that he the writer, Jamie Matheson, uses actual political terminology promises something that he's not necessarily going to deliver on you know like it it makes me kind of ready for a more sophisticated argument than i think the episode is seems to be capable of really delving into sure um and not to get dismissive and critficky because I actually do like this episode and I really like Jamie Matheson as a writer, but, um, and I even like this joke, but, um, I wonder how much of this episode stems from the pun we're fighting the suits. Like how much of it is about like, sure. The, like that, the kernel of that idea of well, let's do the doctor who thing of, and, and a very on a Buffy thing. Like, yeah. It, it's well that, but also like the Buffy thing of here's your metaphor for the week. And I, I can see I'm critficking, but I can see them kind of saying we have an interesting metaphor here. Let's run with that. But without necessarily, you know, thinking it all the way through. And maybe from you're kind of also saying like, you know, you're fine with anti-capitalist stories as long as they're sort of well thought through. It might be that the people writing this episode either didn't bother to think or maybe don't know that much about what they're... No, I... Not that they don't understand it, but, like, are they are they giving the opposition as much thought as... Like, if I were the big, bad capitalist company how would I handle these situations? Like, are they not kind of working through, you know, the other position as well as they might think about their own? So here, here's something where I would um, maybe even compare it to. So like in, in both Buffy and Dr. Who, we get main characters who really dislike the use of guns, right? Like, yeah. Buffy mm-hmm. has a number of times thrown away gun. Now, okay, she's also used a rocket launcher. But what like ignoring sure. that, like Yeah, well that, the doctor's used guns too. So. And and the doctor has used guns too. But like right. like generally speaking, they don't like gun and like there's some very like, you know, anti gun messages in that. Yeah. Which is fine. And like 
that's like a character thing that's a character preference or or dislike or whatever and there's like certain things that they have thoughts and say things but then they like also have people in those shows who like know about guns and use them and have you know so you get like xander who has like his military training you know given to him through like a weird halloween ritual thing but nevertheless like he knows about him he uses them at times and like um you have like wesley like when he's fighting like even just more recently when like he kills skip you know like mm-hmm. you've got you know th- so like i feel like those sorts of things you at least get some kind of balance there where it's like yeah the main characters don't like the guns and they don't you know they sort of say what their positions are and this and that but then you also have other characters or maybe a little more willing to use them or whatever. And so I think this this felt to me definitely like an episode of we're just writing to the people who agree with us, right? We're 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 preaching to the converted um mm-hmm. kind of in that sense. And to and whatever your thoughts about anything, like pick a topic. I just think that that to me always comes across as a little flat and right and just not very it like you said like it's just not very well thought out and whether they're trying to think it out or just trying to like rally the troops like it just, right well it just and, and even feel, yeah and even i think the the proof of that is in the fact that even the converted some of them reacted to the episode by saying "Eh, it's a bit simplistic you know like it even they could kind of see like all right we might really be against this ideology but this this episode doesn't do justice to what it is that we're against um so yeah and like i mean i think the guns is a good is a good comparison because there are definitely times where the doctor for instance will say explicitly that you know i you know i don't use guns or whatever it's not like it's a taboo subject but like on the other hand i feel like more often than not it's just sort of there implicitly Mm. like just the lack of guns in the show or when there are guns his sort of general avoidance of them or his preference for using something else or on the rare occasion that he does pick one up, the discomfort that that kind of brings to any situation of like, oh, this feels wrong and unnatural. And I feel like that communicates the anti-gun, the general anti-gun stance in a more just kind of subtle way of like, it makes sense for the character and you understand from his character point of view, why that would might have larger political sort of implications Mm -hmm. um, of where the doctor, like the doctor doesn't vote. And, and like, I don't think the doctor cares about like, you know, our, you know, midterm elections or anything, but like ideologically you could make an argument as to like where he stands on a, you know, on that particular issue or whatever. And I just feel like maybe if, um, maybe if they had trusted the theme to come through on its own and say like, 
we don't necessarily need to speechify about why capitalism is bad. Maybe we just present a situation where, you know, a, a vital thing for life is sold to you at competitive prices and is very like, you know, and is running out and just let the situation sort of do the work of saying, you know, why this is sort of a bad situation to yeah. be in. Um, and they might've got something a little more thought provoking out of it. Um, rather than kind of preaching either to the choir or to people who aren't going to be convinced by this episode, certainly. Right, <laughs> like, right. I don't think, I don't think anybody's going to rethink capitalism because like, oh, I saw oxygen right, and like, right. you know, um, and again, like it, it sounds like we're ragging on this episode. Like, in a lot of ways, I really do like it. It's 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 that preachiness that I think, again, does a disservice to everyone. Right, like maybe if the the message was a little more subtle or, you know, a little more even handed, even it would have actually worked more in its favor. <laughs> that's a, you know, yeah, a, a speculation, but that's kind of. That's kind of my feeling because I think it it I, it comes across as simplistic to everybody, and it probably puts people more on their guard to sort of defend what they might already believe. To kind of say like, you know, well, this you know this thing that I believe in is being attacked, and for no apparent reason, and doesn't even you know isn't even making a compelling argument. So. Yeah. You're kind of forced into a like skeptical defensive sort of position about it. Um, right. And for the people who, if it is just sort of rallying the crowd who already believes in it, well then what's the point? They already, they already agree with you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think a lot more could have been done by maybe keeping the theme a little bit, more in the background and it could have been like I would have liked to have read the think pieces about this episode where it didn't explicitly kind of call out what it was stating but kind of let the audience sort of work out what the metaphor is but um but I don't know sure that's also not like I even as I say that, I like I'm aware of like the way things are right now. I don't think people are in a mood to not talk about what people want to talk about, you know. And so that might be that might be kind of a misjudging of the tone of the culture, you know, <laughs> to say like, why would we bother to be subtle about this? Like, if we have something to say, let's just come out and say it um sure and that, that you know i could see the argument as... if that if they had done that i could see people saying like that's the coward's way out like why wouldn't you just like you know be be confident about what it is that the argument that you're making or whatever that bugs me a little bit and just just as like a zeitgeist right now right because Sure. I feel like there's a tendency 
So, so let me let me give a like a non sci-fi and fantasy example. Have you seen um, the new Netflix show Everything Sucks? I have not. Um, all right. Well, without getting into spoilers and stuff, it, it's about high school kids. It's kind of like a Freaks and Geeks, but like set in the nineties, right? So it's like mm-hmm. Freak Freaks and Geeks, like ten years later, mm-hmm. um, with obviously like a different cast and whatever. But yeah. I actually really like the show. So Mm -hmm. again, like maybe you were just saying about this episode, like it sounds like we're crapping all over it, but like (laughs) that's not necessarily a reflection of, you didn't actually say that phrase, but that's not like necessarily a reflection of what we think of the episode as a whole, but kind of like hitting hard in the beginning with the criticism. One of my criticisms of everything sucks is that it, paints these high schoolers in the 90s, which was a time when I was in high school, mm-hmm. as much more woke than mm-hmm. anything that was really happening in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, I get that. Like, you, you, ha- you know, there are messages that you want to have in your show, and it's, they're not bad message. Like nothing that they do is bad. And in fact, there's probably a lot of good stuff in there that would have benefited a lot of, you know, high schoolers in the nineties had they been thinking Mm -hmm. along those lines, including myself. But I don't know how useful it is, especially in a show like that, where like it's clearly playing on like nostalgia and all of that. I, I just don't know. I just don't know, like, if it if it ends up doing a disservice to the show to really, like, have these characters, like, having these, like, very sort of woke revelations when, like, people who grew up in that time would probably, I mean, certainly myself, and I'm sure if I asked a bunch of people would just be like, I don't know, that just doesn't seem like the way that people did. And I almost feel like having a more honest reaction and i'm using that term again like in in reference to this show Mm -hmm. would would actually have like highlighted better the problems with the way that people were thinking and Mm -hmm. doing things at the time versus now because it sets up that contrast versus having characters react as though they should you know they should or we would hope that they would react now but it's just with like nineties clothes and music. Right. Right. <laughs> um, Cause when you do that, you don't get, you don't get the contrast and you don't get sort of the like, Oh wow. Like that really, like it's not the same as like, actually we could talk about this a little bit at the very beginning of the Buffy episode that we're going to talk about next. Like how that scene with Xander and, you know, Rachel Bilson as a potential could mm-hmm. maybe not work quite as well watching it today as it did in the early aughts. And so, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I guess that to me, like would just be like a, a, a different, a, another sort of example of the kind of thing that I'm trying to get across a little bit with like, like the being more honest about like just how, mm-hmm. how to present it and not like, that would be my argument for maybe the not having the explicit, mm-hmm. like, 
capitalism in space okay well like it's cap capitalism is capitalism wherever you are like there's not really a different fundamental thing about capitalism in space versus anywhere else and so well it's hardly the first time the doctors encountered capitalism in space so like yeah and the doctor may so i think people get this is so i left like what is capitalism to sort of like the end of my situational things, but I'm going to like bring that up because I feel like not only is it like trying to attack capitalism, but like it's a very straw man's version of capitalism. And so right. like, yeah. yeah, and maybe this just goes hand in hand with it being like, whatever, but like say that there is, a company, you know, that can willy-nilly kill its workers, whatever. Again, certainly there have been companies that have, like, caused the deaths of workers. I'm not saying that that's never happened. I'm also not saying that uh, there aren't, like, legitimately, like, businessmen who, like, look down on their workers and treat them as commodities in the way that we're sort of led to think that this company does. Again, we don't know anything about it, except that apparently it mines copper and charges people for air. Like, we don't literally know anything else about this company. But, like, okay, so we accept that those things happen, and maybe that's true. Is this... If this is a company acting on, like, within, like, the purview of some form of government like either a the government's doing a really bad job of oversight right and again like that happens like governments are poor at oversight and it can lead to deaths like again not saying that that's not something that happens in the real world or like the company is just off it off on its own and i think when stories talk about companies like this where where it's like like another, like a show I watched recently actually was a, a Canadian produced show of um, uh, uh, Dark Matter, where like mm -hmm. outer space was, is like ruled by basically various companies and, you know, they, they like sort of play companies and it's kind of like, it's kind of like a Canadian version of Firefly almost with like, where mm -hmm. they sort of like, instead of the Alliance, they're like pitting powerful companies kind of against each other. And so, like, that's fine. But in, in that sense, these companies that rule, like, over entire planets and systems and stuff are basically governments. And all you've done is, like, taken government and called it a company instead. Like, instead of the United States, you have, like, U.S. Corp. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And so I, I feel like when you do that sort of thing, what you're actually dealing with is not like a for-profit business, but like a totalitarian government. And so mm -hmm. just calling it capitalism isn't actually like arguing against capitalism, it's arguing against a form of totalitarianism, which I think most people who are agree with like the free market would say like, that's not at all what we mean when we talk about capitalism. We, we're talking about the voluntary exchange, not like, the forced labor in a mining camp that, you know, people are, are, can't get out of and like all of that kind of thing. So I, I just feel like in those sorts of situations, 
like it's again it's not clear because we don't really know what the governmental or actual company looks like in in this situation so we can't say like is it one or the other of those things like what's really going on here and it just i feel like just calling it capitalism avoids the Mm -hmm. question of like is it really capitalism or is this like is this something more like the Dutch East India Company that was like backed and funded by the British government and used British mm-hmm. soldiers to like conquer India and, you know, right. establish like basically like slaves and like, or, you know, very low wage workers and kind of things that, okay, technically it's a company, but like it's like got right. all the backing of the government and, you know, resources that any other government would have mm-hmm. um anyway all of that to say that like i again because we don't really know what the governmental and you know like organizational structure of this company is it's hard for me to say like this is definitely capitalism because they charge for air the government charges for things too so again like what are we what are we talking about mm-hmm. um which like that whole idea of oxygen as a commodity too, like, so I brought up Le Guin earlier as like someone who I feel like is honest in at least working through the complexities of like the systems that she creates. Mm -hmm. Some people have said that one of my other favorite writers, Robert Heinlein is maybe less honest um, in that way. But I would set up, my favorite novel of his is The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. And I would set that up as a good counter, uh, if anyone is interested in checking it out, uh, a a good counterbalance on the idea of oxygen, just one small part of his book, but in which, you know, the the Luna colony, you know, the colony on the moon in which... uh, the the story mainly takes place uh sets up its uh you know system of you know paying for oxygen and it being part of your daily life um so like for example one exchange um between sort of the main character and and a character who's visiting uh the moon um you you know the the, the main character says you know i was earthside once and heard the expression free as air the air isn't free. You pay for every breath. And then the visitor says, really, no one asked me to pay to breathe. You know, perhaps I should stop. And he says, well, you know, there's a, there's a scene where the guy almost gets thrown out in airlock. So that's, that's a separate thing. But he says, nobody asked you because you've paid for you. It's part of your round trip ticket. For me, it's a quarterly charge. And I like, I think what gets lost, like in situations like brought up in the episode oxygen here that we're talking about, it's like, what are what are all of the ways that like probably if we were to actually work this through people would still pay for their oxygen but it would just become like just like when you work for a company or or any employer really there's a certain amount of overhead like there there's your you know salary that you take home or whatever but then there's all of like the building costs the electricity the you know water mm-hmm. charges like all, like all of these other things that are really part of what you get paid like to be there but they pay for it because they need you to be there and so like like no 
not that this never happened because certainly there were like company towns back in the day where like you could only buy from the company store and like they would overcharge you and stuff like that. So again, not saying this never happened, but like in sort of modern industrialized countries anyway, like you don't go to work and like have to pay for like the electricity you use while using your computer, right? Like that's a cost mm-hmm. of the company. And I feel like those sorts of things would be probably worked into a system where like you have regular workers in like a space station and that kind of thing. And they would figure out things like, uh, have you ever heard of plants to like, you know, recycle the carbon dioxide and that kind of thing, especially on a big space station like that. So I just feel like there's, and maybe this is just like not working out like the logistics all the way. Mm -hmm. Like, like there's a lot of ways where you could actually be like, look, either, either the company would be like, okay, well, you know, part of your salary is that you get to breathe while you're there. And that's like part of the cost of doing business. And we're happy to provide that for you because we want good workers who will, you know, not faint when they're mining and things like that, like that. I just feel like don't really get yeah. considered <laughs> like, I or, feel like there's, or, or other, I feel like there's some, um... sorry. Sorry, no, no, finish what you're thinking. I, I was saying. just going to say, or, or other things like, you know, so like Manny, again, the, the main character in Moon is Heart's Mistress saying like, well, yeah, for me, it's a quarterly charge. And it's like, well, yeah, that like everyone has a water bill. Like you, you know, so like say someone who lives in, a, in an apartment has, you know, you have a water bill just like anyone else would, you know, like me who owns a house, I pay a water bill to the to the county you know government or whatever i mean people who live in an apartment building also have a water bill it's just that it's like included as a lump sum as part of your rent like all of that's included in there so you're okay you're not technically paying for your water but you're paying for something that keeps you alive and clean and you know Mm -hmm. can let you wash your dishes and you know steam your carpets or whatever you might use water for and so it's all kind of wrapped up into that charge. And I feel like that's the sort of thing where it's like, you can actually come up with really easy ways where like people are paying for their air, but not like getting cut off by, you know, company because like they don't have 10 bucks on them at the moment. Um, Well, and I feel like there's maybe a slight mixed metaphor going on here of the, on the one hand, the kind of, uh let's say like the oxygen is more analogous to like you know a, a company the the debate over whether or not to provide health care you know or like should it be free should it cost like who's paying for that is that provided by your employer or is it by the government are you paying as part of like does it come out of your paycheck all those sorts of that's kind of one question of like oxygen is an essential element for life and so the question of is it is it within the moral right of the company or the totalitarian government or whoever it's who's charged for an essential like that is a question but then on the other hand i feel like what's more really happening kind of as you're talking i'm thinking of it more as they're being it's not that they're it's not really that they're being overcharged for essentials. It's more so that they're the organic component is obsolete 
so it's more about this idea of jobs being taken like away from people, you know, and, and things that used to be done by people are now, they don't, it's not so, I, I don't think the real issue is that they want to make a ton of money off of the air. I think the, the real kind of issue with whatever this company is, is that the people are less efficient than the suits themselves. Like the suits, like they find that one suit that's sort of stacking boxes on its own. Like the idea being like they can automate technology to do the work just as easily. So like, is that really the, like maybe like the, the, the doctor says something about, you know, you've become too expensive to sure. like bother to, um, I mean the fact that they kill their, you know, workers rather than like laying them off is, you know, again, a, an over the top way of exploring that idea. But I feel like it's whatever the metaphor is, it's being kind of pulled in two different directions. Like, does this want to be like a debate about like healthcare and like essential, you know, components for life? And to what extent is the company, your employer or the government responsible for providing those things for you? Um, or does this want to be an episode about like, you know, the pull between human and automated jobs and what does a company do when the human worker becomes inefficient obsolete more expensive than it's worth and they can do the work just as efficiently with the technology that they have and maybe I feel like that's kind of mixing the metaphors a little bit like, I don't feel like it ever really gets into either of those things, but it, it has a foot in both of them. And and it's kind of lumping both issues together into kind of one issue, which it just sort of labels capitalism and kind of says, like, that's, you know, the bad guy in this scenario. But without necessarily defining exactly what it is we're talking about. Sure. Yeah, and honestly, I hadn't even looked at sort of oxygen, like the the thing you breathe in the episode, as like a metaphor for like healthcare or something like that. Like that never even really occurred to me. But and I don't know that it is like I don't know that that's what they intended or anything. But, sure, but no I mean um, that, when you say it like I could definitely see people thinking that like like seeing that connection I just it's just not one that I had considered so I'm just trying to think sort of on the fly here but um yeah I mean I like that what you said sounds plausible to me that like yeah they just they they took too many elements from the stew of story and, you know, threw them together and it didn't mm -hmm. quite come out the way they had hoped. So, yeah. That's but despite that, I think people generally do like this episode. 
Well, and so I, I mean, think we it, can. And again, I, I think we it, can talk about the critical capabilities of the masses, but then we would just be insulting maybe people who are potential listeners. Um, well, this is true, but like <laughs> I like this episode, and it doesn't sound like you completely hate it either. I think there are things that work about it, just in in again in that execution. Um, like, I think this is one of the scarier episodes, you know, just in terms of creating a sense of. Like, it's comparatively rare to have an episode of Doctor Who where you think, like, you know, this could have serious consequences. And in the end, it does have serious consequences. Like, I think it goes further than a lot of them do into the sure. kind of, well, this oh, Lassie might really die in this one. You know, like, <laughs> you I do mean, have that feeling like things could go, like, the sense of panic, I think, is genuinely pretty high here which is i think that's worth noting the the bill's dead oh no she's not fake out notwithstanding sure like yeah like there is a sense and and in actuality in this episode of there being real consequences to the doctor and or his companion um right this this isn't a you know, Christmas invasion episode where like the hand gets chopped off and regrows because you're still within like the regeneration period, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, like yeah, the doctor gets hurt, and by the end of the episode, we realize that he still is hurt, and not just mm -hmm. like hurt, but like hurt in saving Bill, right. Right, like in the process of well, and and the others. I mean, the remainder of the others. <laughs> um, like there is definitely this this sense that like, which may be like a bigger thing across the season, like that we could talk about thematically as we go along. But like this idea that there that there's a bigger toll, whether whether because you know this doctor appears to be older than any other doctor, you know, at least in a while. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, actually is like in sort of his own personal timeline, right? Like, mm -hmm. cause you're always older than all your previous selves, but. Mm -hmm. um, and is in life, he's, you know, from a, you know, kind of extra diegetic point of view, Capaldi is the oldest actor too. So Right, that's Even what I'm saying. Even though he's very like he, energetic, he brings some of that like he 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 vulnerability appears, with he it. appears older. He is sort of like you know is older in the story. He you know yeah the actor is actually older. Like so yeah, just all of those things that sort of I yeah I'm trying to think like has there. Other than the regenerations, right? Like, or, mm -hmm. and the, you know, whatever event that triggers the regeneration. Has there any, ever been like sort of a lasting damage done to the doctor? Like physically, like, like the hand gets chopped off, but then regrown. And okay, so then you have this hand floating around and that comes back later. Mm -hmm. But like, like, has there been, like, something where, like, some kind of physical harm or 
disability or something occurs that like yeah, I mean, I lasts until on. like the next generation, like more than just, I mean, not that he stays blind until the next generation per se, but like. Right. No, I mean, this feels more, I mean, we have more episodes we can talk about to what extent yeah, yeah. the sense continues. Like if how successfully do they implement this idea? But it feels unprecedented and kind of brave to say we're not going to bring his sight back at the end of the episode. Right. You know, like that kind of feels just, risky. Just, just that idea that like if your your body is aging and you maybe, you know, like as as people get older, like a lot of people who are older... I mean, I, I got to phrase this carefully. Like, I'm sure, like, I'll say it some way that it's wrong. But but as you get older, like, there are more people who die from sort of, like, common injuries just because, mm-hmm. like, their bodies can't heal and or mm-hmm. are, you know, frailer or whatever. And so, like, I wonder to what extent, like, that's the sort of thing we should be thinking about here of, like, mm-hmm. the doctor, whether, like, I mean, you know, regeneration fixes all or not, like we'll see like with the next doctor or whatever. But like, mm-hmm. like here, there definitely seems to be an idea of like, he's not a spring chicken anymore, right? Like he's not mm-hmm. like, you know, gonna just like, you know, get a cut and it'll heal right away. Like, or, right. you know, he may have a set of spare eyes in the TARDIS somewhere, but like even those... I mean, we don't really know, like, if he actually does or, like, uses them, right? Like, it's, there's just kind of, like, um, Nardal holds up, like, this thing that's, like, kind of clears his retinas, but, like, doesn't actually help him to see. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly what went on there, but kind of this idea that, like, yeah, like, you're older, you're gonna, like, take longer to recover from things, and maybe there's a bit of slowing down going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so, so taking that, I want to transition real quick, like in the last few minutes, or we might go a few minutes over here to talking though, like, like how, how much of that is also like the toll of his, and I'm just thinking of this as I'm saying it. So this wasn't mm-hmm. something I was thinking of before, but like how much of that is the toll of his sort of, needing to stay and watch over the vault like is there a sense of like not being able to go out on adventure is like what's causing him to slow down a bit and Mm. like like literally because like he can't just hop in the TARDIS and go wherever he wants anytime Mm -hmm. he wants but also like is that having a like a sort of physical like if you don't you know if if you go work out every day and then suddenly like you can't go work out every day and like you're just sort of sitting around home, like, you know, you're going to gain weight and, you know, your muscles might, you know, atrophy a little and, and like that. Like, is there, is there sort of a, I mean, maybe a physical element there, but also like a mental element that's sort of like slowing him down a bit um, mm-hmm. in all of this? Uh, because it does seem like, like he's obviously very anxious to leave, and I mean, we get the whole conversation between the doctor and Nardal about like 
you know, you can't go, well, I'm gonna, and you're not very good at like keeping me here. So you're fired. And it's your fault. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all of that, which is, which is funny. And I think, I think some of that kind of dialogue works really well, um, in this Mm -hmm. episode. Um, I think this is one of my favorite episodes of Nardal because it is him trying to sort of assert himself. Whereas like, Mm -hmm. I feel like in other episodes, he's just kind of like wishy-washy a bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, and here he like really kind of laces into the doctor a bit, which yeah, I remember. I remember that being a reaction when this came out of people kind of saying like, "Wait a minute, like Nardo can be a little scary." Like we didn't realize this was a note that that character could hit. That's not really what you're led to expect from right. You know, uh, the return of Doctor Mysterio. Like mm-hmm. you know, not that he's not still goofy and funny, but that he. Um, seems to take his, you know, responsibility pretty seriously and, and does lay into the doctor pretty well. Right. Um, there, there's sort of like, before now, there's sort of like the half-baked attempts, like, you know, no, don't go. Um, and, or, right. or, or like, the, oh, this is naughty. Don't do this. Or, yeah. Or yeah. this sort of like muttering under your breath, like, oh, well, yeah. Rah, rah, rah. And yeah, like here, like, it's not that. But also, like, when they're actually out on the adventure is, like, sort of there and, you know, like, you know, helping the doctor and doing, like, he's not just, like, surly mm-hmm. in the adventure itself either. Like, he he actively participates and, like, helps out and all of that, too. Like, yeah. this isn't like a, a, you know, Marvin the robot where he just sort of sulks and doesn't like anything that, any task that he's given or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, I mean, I think that's a bit unexpected and I think a bit welcome that like, it's not just like the companions who can stand. I mean, to some extent, Nardal is a companion, as we've said before, but like human companions who like can sort of stand up to the doctor. It's, mm-hmm. you know, also him who has not just like, he's not just like the doctor's companion, but is actually sort of tasked with a specific charge from the doctor and so mm-hmm. doing his best to sort of uphold that as much as anyone can you know hold the doctor to anything um yeah and yeah. so i think that i think that that works really kind of interestingly there of you know is that in and of itself some of the doctors like maybe that Maybe like having Nardal there isn't like a recognition of the doctor being, you know, unable to take care of himself because he's getting older per se, but but it is sort of a recognition of the doctor. Maybe there's an element of growth there because the doctor recognizes his own weaknesses, mm-hmm. whether those weaknesses are getting worse or not because the doctor himself is getting older is a you know question we could continue to ask over time, but. Yeah. That that does seem like in that same sort of vein of like the doctor not maybe recovering as well. Maybe there is an idea there that like the doctor does need kind of an in-home nurse, you know, to mm-hmm. help him, you know, mentally, physically, whatever, you know, help yeah. he needs um, stay on track with his mission. Um, yeah. Which we still don't fully know at this point. 
No, but the other thing it introduces too is this idea of the vulnerabilities of, you know, when Nardole's sort of lecturing him at the end, it's about like, what if whatever's in the vault had like known that you left or what if it had known that you were blind now and like, you, you know, and so this idea that like, not just the risk of leaving, but the, you know, before Nardole realizes that there is seemingly permanent damage and you know not just what's in the vault but like all of humanity for this planet that gets attacked so often like now how are we supposed to at this point how do you get along without the doctor um kind of working at full capacity mm -hmm. um and so the other thing i wanted to mention too um is like just in terms of tracking the doctor's sort of development, um, the they don't really explicitly call it out here, but but kind of carrying over from the the Clara era is this idea of the duty of care that he has um, mm. for people in general, but for the companion in particular, and I think that's kind of a big thing underlying what he does for Bill in this episode. That you know not once, but twice, even after he's blind. I think that's the more poignant one is, yeah, he gives her his helmet and then he goes blind. But when her suit stops working again, he says, give her mine. You know, like he's ready to go without the suit entirely, not just the helmet. Mm -hmm. um, and like, you know, you kind of realize like, yeah, they're kind of lucky that all that happened was he came out of it blind. Like, yeah. He was ready to kind of go, you know, maybe to the point of dying without regeneration to, you know, not to save the earth, just to like keep her safe or to get her home or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you see like definitely with the Capaldi doctor taking that duty of care to, you know, a, a much more serious level then you know right not that he didn't care before but now he's certainly like deliberately sort of you know thinks of that as his sort of purpose i mean not that he still doesn't pull them into random dangerous situations but but his determination to sort of you know his willingness to make sacrifices in order to you know, get Bill back alive. Yeah. Right. All right. So any other thoughts before we kind of move on? I know, I know we spent a lot more time on sort of the capitalism and my complaints about that. Um, I do <laughs> think you're right. Like, so um, in a, in a review of a different Robert Heinlein book that I did on my website, curtiswyant.com um, is uh, one of Starship Troopers, which is one of, is another Robert Heinlein stories that are like one of those hate it or love it um, stories. I really like it. But one of the things that I, I say there is that a lot of people want to know, like, you know, do you agree with the book, you know, and, and like the things that it says. And my response to that, and not just to that book specifically, but to like, 
anytime anyone asks, like, do I agree with anything is like, well, what do you mean by agree with it? Like, do you mean, do I agree with what a particular character says or what a narrator says or what some, you know, particular idea or ideas in the book, um, you know, mean? Do, do you, I agree with what I think or what others have said they think that the author is trying to say, you know, from a sort of cryptic perspective? Um, there are, you know, what a, you know, there are many things that agree could mean. Um, mm-hmm. Just like there are many things, you know, Bilbo uses good morning for in The Hobbit. Um, and my response to that is like, on the one hand, like, I don't think I've ever had any book that I've read that I agree with like 100% in any of on those. On every level. On, on, yeah. Well, even on any one of those levels. Like, I don't think yeah. I, there's anything that I've ever read that I agree completely with, um, if mm-hmm. that's what you're going for. But is that does that mean like I dislike it? No, because like I think there are things that I can disagree with or not wholly agree with and still enjoy. Um, and so that's kind of where I am with that book. Does that apply to this episode as well? Hmm. I would say I don't enjoy it as much as I enjoy the book uh, Starship Troopers. <laughs> um, but I do think, like, I agree, like, so there's certainly, like, some of the technical aspects of, like, the atmosphere. And, and I do agree that there's a certain creepiness. Um, I'm a sucker for zombie stories anyway. So, like, that has it going for itself. Um, yeah, and I think the character interactions are, you know, it's pushing the characters in, I think, in interesting directions. And... I think seeing Nardal as an actual companion is cool. And, like, mm-hmm. we talked about his character at the end and the rebuke of the Doctor um I, I, I so in that i really like the repetition of you know the look at me look at me and then the i can't you know like mm. that i feel like comes across very well in in um not just the words but the portrayals by both nardal and the doc and you know uh uh what's the guy what's the actor's name nardal uh, uh matt lucas matt lucas i kept wanting to say matt smith i'm like no that's the previous doctor <laughs> i knew it was a matt something um uh and and peter capaldi there i think play that really well i think um you're right to point out like the the sort of the sacrifice of the doctor and like the willingness to sacrifice more for bill um than even potentially any most other companions certainly uh possibly more than any companion like has there been any companion where he's been that willing to like kill himself like or i mean allow himself to die without the possibility of regeneration. I'm sure it's come up, but like, anyway. Um, so yeah, so I think there's some interesting things. The, the, the secondary, like sort of the miners and workers on the station, like a little thin, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but um, some humorous yeah. moments, like, you know, I mean, the, the, the sort of, you know, uh, I think coming so the uh, the frost fair wasn't last week; it was two weeks ago. But there's sort of that concern about racial issues there of going back mm-hmm. in time. Sort of the flipping that I think by going forward into the future, um, and sort of hinting that there's you know maybe different dynamics at play and that kind of thing is is interesting. But 
they don't really follow it up more than sort of a, a throwaway line or two. Um, right, right. But I think it's one of those things that you could take that line or two and and probably talk about it a while. Certainly, we probably could if we allowed ourselves. Um, sure. So I do think there's some interesting things in there. I won't go so as far as far to say as like I really liked it. I don't. I do think though that it definitely had some positives too. Like so, I don't want to sort of mm-hmm. if we're going to end our discussion on this episode, I, I want to end it maybe a little on the other side from where I started it with all of my complaints and yes. and yes. desires to maybe have had it be a little deeper in some areas. Um, so. Yeah, no. And I, I agree with that. Um, so just to kind of remind everybody and people, um, the, the writer, Jamie Matheson previously wrote mummy on the Orient express flatline mm. and the girl who died, um, which was the Viking one with uh oh Maisie Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um and actually I, I remember liking that one quite a bit i i liked uh, thoroughly enjoyed all those episodes and sure. um and i think i like this one for the same it, the same things this does well are the things that those episodes did well of good character interactions smart and funny dialogue you know um good atmosphere like you know, he's he's a good writer of Doctor Who episodes, and that's a fairly rare thing to find somebody who, like, consistently, like, writes Doctor Who really well. Um, and But that doesn't take away from the fact that I do agree with you that um, ideologically it is way more sort of pat and easy and simplistic than I think anybody would like it to be. Mm. Um, like I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that like, you know, people from many different corners, you know, of, you know, ideologies would ask for something, you know, that did these issues a little bit more justice. Sure. Um, so you know, an interesting, I, but I think it, it tries things and it pushes for things. And I'd rather at least that it does that than, um, than not have much of anything to say. Um, so, you know, an interesting experiment that doesn't succeed in all of its attempts, but, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, um, it does leave in a pretty, unique place you know uh, in terms of cliffhangers like this isn't strictly like part one of a two-parter but it does obviously set up you know a little mini arc here of Mm. of what's going on with with the doctor sort of having a disability yeah which is um not something that we've had certainly not in new who before so right uh, you know, I think that should be, I'm, I'm interested to kind of track that across the next couple episodes and see if we, it sounds like we think that's one of the the things that this episode did better. Um, mm-hmm. you know, do we feel that, that way several episodes on, um, is kind sure. of what I'm interested to see. Well, 
when we get several episodes on, we can revisit that. But for now, we should probably move into Buffy. Yeah. And talk about Um, Dirty Girls. Dirty Girls. I always Um, always hear the... um, uh, uh, you know, from Annie, the it's it's little girls, but you know, dirty girls, dirty. Girl. No. <laughs> um, well, that's funny which, because which I you know me, I don't reference show tunes that often, so that's you know sure notable. It's a big deal. Um, um, well, that and that's funny that you say that because, um, even when I was sort of reading the titles at the beginning, when I you know said the name of this episode. Um, I understand that the reference is, um, we're going to talk about Caleb is, is kind of to his misogynistic mm-hmm. sort of worldview of these, you know, girls who are sort of, um, you know, sullied and, you know, sort of sinful by nature. And like, he kind of says like, Sorry, I oh, was gonna no, say no, there's go like a very, uh, you know, slut shamey sort of, yeah, aspect to all of this, right? Like definitely, and he plays lip service to the fact that well, they come from Adam, and and he, Adam was sinful, and all humans are sinful, but like you definitely, there's no confusion about the fact that women are more sinful, <laughs> like right. for whatever reason, like like we can we can say platitudes about how well it's just because they're human but that's not really what he means right sure um and yet when i you know was kind of reading the you know name dirty girls like there's something about the title that is a little more playful than that and it kind of makes me think like the girls are like dirty girls as in like little kids Mm. like like it sounds like you've been out playing like in the yard and you came and like you got all like, you know, or even at the, you know, kind of jumping to the end of the episode when they're all dirty because they've been through battle, you know, and they're sure. like wrapped up and kind of recuperating in the hospital. Like, well, they're dirty because like they just got the snot beat out of them. And mm-hmm. but like that's not even a negative thing. Like they're out there fighting for their lives and they're scrapping and they're going to get dirty because they're fighting for, you know, the world. Um, so sure, it's just kind of like, I think it's an interesting kind of, that's not really what the title's referring to, but there's something about it that makes me think like, well, is this a term that you could kind of take and reappropriate, mm-hmm. you know, like, is this the nasty woman kind of thing of like, we're going to like take this term that's meant as an insult and sure. like make it into something kind of empowering. Like, or or like never let, nevertheless she persisted. Right. Like that was right. said right. in context of like, she's doing something she shouldn't be doing, but then that kind of became right. kind of a battle cry for like that all of these the women cry. who right. persist in the sort of name of, you know, or in the face of like, right, right, you know, men who they disagree with or whatever, right. Like I could see if if Buffy or someone heard Caleb or whoever using that as like an insult, like these dirty girls. I could see them reclaiming that as like, yeah, we're dirty and we're like willing to get dirty 
to, you know, do what we have to do. Sure. Um, like, I think you could put a kind of positive spin on that. Anyway, I didn't say we were going to start there, but that was what I was thinking as I was sort of reading the titles in the intro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I you know, we can look for that, certainly, if, you know, see if we see any of that in there. Um, while we're on the subject of Caleb, that is where I wanted to start. Um, so, um, Nathan Fillion. Yeah. Um, we're, so, so, sorry. Like, well, so not only is this another unemployed Firefly actor, (laughs) um, but like, it cracks me up that they're coming back as like the big super villains in sure. Like at the end of all of the seasons of like, like Firefly was canceled, like less than a season ago, like halfway through this year. And it's like in the couple months since, like we took like the two main characters from Firefly and made them like, you know, one of the big bads, if not the big, the big bad of, you know, Buffy and Angel, respectively, which is um pretty funny. It kind of makes me, I don't know if we're done, but it kind of makes me curious, like, who, who else is going to pop up? Are they all going to be, like, fighting will, for evil? Yeah. I will tell you this. Is there more? Other, other actors from Firefly do appear in one or the other of the shows. I won't tell okay. you who or what episodes or where, like, you know, or like when. Um, but we're not done. I will say that. We're not done. I hope they're all villains. Like. I, I will say that not like, don't expect to like see the entire crew of the Serenity on okay. one or the other of the shows at some point. So like, I mean, I won't, again, I won't get into like who and where they appear and whatever or in what capacity. I will say that yeah. that they do all show up at some point. Not all. Others do show up at some point in one or the other of these two shows. Others as in more than one? Or you don't Well, I say. guess I kind of gave it away there. Yes, more than one more than one person who has appeared in Firefly will also appear in one or the other of these shows. Okay. I think okay. that's correct. So not necessarily the crew of Serenity I, could be I neither confirm I'm not confirming or denying anything beyond what I've said. I sincerely hope they all play villains. Because I think this is a okay. pretty funny little trend. I um, think let's that's keep all in, I'm saying. let's keep in mind that the definition of villain and demon and person has evolved over time as well. So that's true. I mean, they could be like nice demons. I'm kind of hoping they're all like really evil bad guys, just because sure. I it, it's you know kind of fun to have you right. know Mal and Zoe sort of uh, raising hell in these. Uh, but like even like, anyway, but I mean, we'll not to get into Angel, but even like you know Jasmine at this point is kind of nice and you know, friendly and all That's that. true. We still don't know for sure if if she's quite as evil as 
I seem to think she is at this point. So, um, Caleb is, uh, he's, he's, I was about it's to say. It's pretty hard to say that, like, that he's not evil at this point. I was about to say he's less ambiguous. It does play with the ambiguity a little bit of, I mean, certainly in the beginning, you, you know, you see Nathan Fillion in a, in a, you know, priest outfit, you're inclined to trust him. Um, but, um, does, does you know, he, that, does the, the southern is, accent help with the trust or not? Um, you know, I could live without the southern accent. I have to kind of be honest with you. And, and it's a little overdone. Yeah. Um, I agree. Um, so there's that. It's not terrible, but it's, it's just, I think it's a touch. It's not great. To, it's not great. His Canadianness is maybe a little more apparent here than elsewhere. Sure. Um, um, which is, you know, that's funny because Firefly in general and Mal always had a slightly kind of Southern quality to them. Um, so he must have just dialed it up here because I never really felt it was a problem in Firefly. Um, but in but Firefly, I think he, it's I think more like Southwest. It's more like... It, it's more frontier than like sure and, and it's definitely subtler um sure so i think he's he's pushing his his accent work a little bit to the limit um but you know it's not even the worst accent we've heard in buffy so i'm not gonna <laughs> no, complain no. too much <laughs> um that this is true um anyway hmm. uh it, it just makes <laughs> it's it makes it a more uh affected performance than I think it it had to be. Um mm -hmm. but I, I get what he's he's going for that kind of Southern comfort preacher man kinda, you know. And so like there's no ambiguity about Caleb. Like he's straight up an evil dude. Um but it does play with the ambiguity and the I guess more so like juxtaposition of his sort of, you know, uh, innocent and trustworthy sort of preacher appearance and, you know, who he, who he really is. Um, and I guess he kind of is. So we kind of want to talk about him, like who he is, what are his motives? What's he doing here? Why is he here? All these things. And I guess there is something consistent about the priest vibe because he kind of is an evangelist, you know, he, he is, you know, a servant of a higher power. Um, just not the God of the Bible, <laughs> you know, he, he serves a different sure. Lord. Kind of explicitly not right. Like, yes. Know. Um, right. No, so he, I guess what we kind of find out, and, and I mean, you've seen this before many more times, obviously, so correct me if I get any of this wrong, but um, he's been behind the, the Slayer attacks from the start, it seems, the right? Like he's the, yeah. the potentials, yeah. Like he's the one that's who's been sort of what we're 
Right. He's been directing the bringers and yeah. um seems to be the kind of main servant of you know or or sort of lieutenant of the first that we know of. Yes. Like that he he's the the main agent of the first in the world working to bring about this sort of you know whatever it is that you know the first wants to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I mean that he he definitely brings so first of all, he calls the bringers his boys, right? Um, there's also reference of him to being the one who blew up the Watchers Council. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and some of the other things that go on, right? Like that are, I didn't write them all down, but yeah, like basically like, I don't think, I don't think we are meant to see this quite as the same level of retcon as like Jasmine orchestrating everything since like season two of Angel. Right. No, no, <laughs> um, no, he doesn't claim quite so much credit, but, but I definitely, I do think that there is a certain level of like, yeah, he was kind of behind a number of these events that, that have all been sort of leading up to this, um, mm-hmm. at least within this like past season or so of Buffy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the implication is also that he was legitimately a preacher, right? That like he was he says right. I was looking for I was looking for the Lord in all the wrong damn places. Then you sure. showed me the light. So he was you know, um a searching or doubting member of the clergy, hardly the only one. Um, who sure. found something else to believe in. Um, yep. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know how far to extrapolate as to his sort of chosen life or profession as, you know, a, a, a preacher mm-hmm. um, with his hatred of women, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like the kind of, you know, I don't I don't know if he's Catholic necessarily, but there could be a suggestion of like celibacy is part of that, sure. you know, lifestyle. And so like does is you know, is this sort of I mean, idea has... of evil women go back? How like how much did this inform his life choices? Yeah. I mean he has a collar. So that sort of like leads you, if not like Catholic, into that sort of more high church style. So maybe like Episcopalian or like, you know, mm-hmm. something Anglican or like, I, I don't, I mean, I mean, I'm making sort of assumptions based on what I even know of like different denominations. So like that seems to be along the lines of what, you know, we're led to mm-hmm. believe, but like there's no like sort of explicit um reference made to like what his denomination or or belief mm-hmm. system might have been before he discovered the first um 
yeah, there's there's certainly shades of sort of like clergy abuse in all of this mm-hmm. too, right? Mm-hmm. But what I find interesting is that um, although like his language, he you know he talks about like the dirty girls and like there's undertones of like we said before like the slut shaming and that kind of thing. Like it doesn't seem to me that that's sort of what he specifically preys on. It's it's murder. I think mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. like it, like I don't get the sense that, like so he talks about and it's ambiguous. So if you read something different, please you know feel free to like say well no I totally thought this other thing. But like yeah. to me when he talks about like oh there was this choir girl back in wherever I read that as like he killed her, not that like he had sex with her or whatever. Right. Um, and that to me, that like that's so. I I just want to like be clear because I do think that like with the, the sort of the dirty girls, uh, discussion or or dialogue or whatever, like that, I think that that could be differently construed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm avoiding saying like wrong or misconstrued or something because I again I think it's ambiguous enough that maybe someone could make a decent argument one way or the other, and so if if that's an argument you would like to make, I don't want it to sound like I'm discouraging you from making that argument per se, but mm-hmm. um, that's the way I interpret it at least that it's that his desires and urges as he sort of says to the first in form of this other random girl that we don't, you know, we don't know who she is. Um, Seems to me like desire to like kill and control through that sort of like taking of life rather than Mm -hmm. um, some of the other ways, even though like in a lot of the language and things that he says to individuals are sort of couched in like the slut shaming, the, you know, sexual sort of right. suggestive, at least uh, things that they yeah. do, things that they wear, that type of thing. Right. No, I mean, the implication is definitely that he has, um, at least with that one choir girl that he killed her um, and potentially more. Um, so it's certainly not limited to like there. there's, if there's a sexual component, it's not limited to that. Right. Um, yeah. Um, and I mean, that's kind of an interesting part of his interactions with, in the scenes with the first is her sort of, I'm, I'm saying her, you know, it's, yeah. it, it appearing to him as, um, the, you know, as past victims, um, and that, you know. like, and again, like, there, there's, there is sort of a undertone there of sexual, like, uh, role playing. Yeah. Right. But right. like, well, and like weirdly childish in the way he says, "Do it again." <laughs> like, you know, sure. like that's what like a kid says when you get to the end of like a game that you like you play ad nauseum. They never ever want to stop. Is is it's just yeah. do it again. Do it. Do again. it again, but do this other thing this time, daddy or mommy or right. whatever. Right. Like there's something like 
weird about like it, the I think the role play is a good sort of way to put that. Like this is a game, but like a perverted game mm-hmm. that the two of them are sort of playing. And and interesting that the first is playing along with him. Like, what is the first mm-hmm. getting out of this? Like, as a spiritual, non-corporeal being. I mean, yeah. some like someone who does its will, I guess, is the answer. Like, right, service, I guess. Is, um, you know, whether it gets any satisfaction out of like, if if is the first enjoying the role play, I that is harder to tell, right? Um, or is it just that this is. This is the stuff I put up with. Sure. To get this guy and, to cooperate and like, you know, do all the physical stuff that I can't do myself. I have to sort of play along with this. And we don't know how many like arms, facets, maybe the first that like can it be in two places at once or not? Like is it like a finite spirit where it has to like, like it can, it can maybe move really quickly between places, but it can't like, it's not like omnipresent or anything. Right. Yeah. Um, we don't, I mean, we don't know, maybe it could be, but like, yeah, we just don't know. Like we know that, well, I guess we know it's not omnipresent because there's certainly things happen that it doesn't know about, mm-hmm. but like, we don't know, like, is it multi-present, you know? Is there like, is it possible to be in more than one place at one time, even if it can't be like every place at one time? Yeah. Um. So like all that to say, like, could it, you know, could it be sort of like doing this appeasement stuff with Caleb, but like also doing other things? Or if not, then like, why is it spending so much time with Caleb? Like, what is it? What is the mm-hmm. first getting out of this particular relationship? Um, right. Hard hard to say. Exactly. We don't have enough input, I think. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll get... I'll have to see if we get more out of what exactly is the nature of the relationship. Um I do want to talk about the last conversation, his sort of voiceover at the end, the, you know, bit where he's telling his, his, his good story, preaching the good news. Mm. And, um, you know, his yeah, sort of idea the gospel of what, of Caleb, right? yeah, what, what a happy ending, what a you catastrophic ending would look like for Caleb. Um, <laughs> sure. and so, um, so he's kind of talking about like the, the, you know, the second coming of, you know, the Lord, which is the first, um, you know, the, the glory that was coming, that was you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so he mentions this idea of if you show up, they'll get in line cause they followed her. All they have to do is take one more step and I'll kill them all. So, you know, in terms of next steps um his plan seems to be to recruit the potentials to the service of the first right like and Mm. like not necessarily as true believers but by 
threat if he has to. Like, if that's the only thing that gets them. He's not above just saying, you know, well, if you don't serve her and worship her, I'll kill you. Um, sure. You know. You yeah, don't have to I, confirm I, or deny that. That's just my interpretation of kind of I, what his goal is. I think by threat or dissension, right? Like, cause I think there's also like one of the things we get in this episode and we can talk through different, you know, opinions of the characters. But I think one of the things that we get is some clear resistance to, mm-hmm. we, we sort of get maybe not some lines maybe being drawn and maybe like at this point, like in the, in this episode, there are still people who are sort of willing to give Buffy the benefit of the doubt. But I wonder if we shouldn't be like looking at the success of her mission foray yeah. into Caleb's lair here, you know, into the beehive as they sort of call it. Uh, as, right, that's the uh, as like the overwhelming impression at the end is oh crap everybody's like in the hospital and you know yeah and like like, maybe there's some people like rona who spoke up against you know going uh who might not be too thrilled about the outcomes here and i say like that's understated of course i mean we get two potentials at least dead Mm -hmm. a bunch of others hurt Mm -hmm. uh Including so two potentials, including Molly, who's one of the first potentials we met, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Her Kennedy and uh, Annabelle was it? Yeah. Were like the first three. Mm-hmm. Um. Right. So like yeah, just just kind of throwing that out there that like I like. Yes, maybe threat is part of it, but like. Also, I feel like sowing dissension and and wreaking chaos to, you know, mm-hmm. maybe give some, uh, you know, give some of the potentials a way to, like, find something different. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Right. Right, like looking for, you know, the Lord in all the wrong places, you know, and then the first showed him the light. Like he's going to, again, preach the gospel of the first. Like you're putting your faith in Buffy and she's not delivering. So let's see where else you might want to. If not, you know, even if he doesn't, recruit them in the sense of true belief, like at least to get them off of Buffy's bandwagon. Um, Anything else about Caleb? I mean, we can come back to him when we talk about the fight at the end, but um, anything else like notable about like the character before we move on? Just, I mean, just his ruse, like, like there's no he he like has no shame or you know whatever like he's very wily um 
he says he has something of Buffy's. Like, do you think that was like, like when they get there, she's like, what do you have? And you know, you said you had something in mind. And he goes, I do now. Like it was just a blatant lie. Like what did he have of hers? It was nothing. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was, right. I mean, I guess if you want to be metaphorical about it, you could say like he had her attention, like, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And she, fell for it lock stock and barrel and even like xander who obviously goes along with her and obviously like supports her decision to go like to the other girls was like skeptical Mm -hmm. about it and says like maybe we're getting away from caleb now more into like the others but like was even like this seems like a pretty clear ruse and uh, yeah you were right dude like yeah Right. No, they all know it's a trap. Even Buffy, I think, knows it's a trap. That's not the point of her plan. Her, you know, her plan is to try to do something unexpected, do, Mm. you know, do it in a way that they don't expect them to expect her to react. Um, Sure. It doesn't go very well for her. Um, but it's not like she was wrong about it being a, like, it it was a trap. She knew it was a trap. Everybody was on the same page about that. It just, um, I think I don't, I, I think when it comes down to it, Caleb is just a stronger opponent than they sort of counted on him being, um, even just like physically, like. The fact that he could just sort of fight them off easily, mm. single-handedly, um, just seems like something they weren't really prepared for. Um, so, all right, well, I'm tempted to reorder our notes here. Why don't we talk about Buffy? I'm going to bump Faith down to the end. Okay. Um, since we're kind of on the Buffy train of thought. Um, let's stick with her. Um, wanted to just briefly note that she gets fired from her job by Robin. Um, so, you know, fair enough. We're coming to uh, the last couple episodes to the point in May where, you know, the big apocalypse tends to happen. Right. Um, like, I don't know how much time we need to be spending around the school, you know, uh, worried about, like, metaphors of the week or anything. Like, you know, I mean, not that we'll never see the school again, but, like, that isn't, we're kind of getting out of the need for, like, the weekly, you know, school-based episodes. Um, sure. And it's, you know, and then, like you know, kind of Robin saying it's, you know, this isn't where the real story is that, you know, the the kids are leaving, people are fleeing, everybody knows something bad's going to go down. Um, so you need to be where the action is and focused on the mission. Um, don't know what she's doing for money. Probably not worried about it. She probably wasn't making that much anyway, so we're just not gonna not gonna worry about that. 
Um, okay. So, I mean, we kind of touched on her plan, such as it is. I mean, that's kind of it, right? Is like to just go in. That's been her sort of tactic with the first this season, I feel like, has been. Well, and always. To just sort of, uh, uh, just, uh, you know, to face it, like prepared or not, trap or not, just sort of, you know, maybe if we go in without preparation, at the very least, we'll have the element of surprise and just sort of, you know. Well, and see you can't how it have, works out. You can't have anything but the element of surprise because they're surprising themselves too. Because even they don't know what they're going to do. Right. Exactly. Um. So yeah, I mean, maybe let's talk about you. You briefly touched on it, but let's talk a little bit more about the opposition to that. Um. Because you definitely get from Rona some skepticism. Um. <laughs> And and consistently, that's been true from episode to episode, I think, from her, that she's... Sure. You know, one of the more cautious or um, practically-minded ones. Um, and and, and it less... turns out to be very well justified, too. I'm not knocking her for that. No, but also, like, I think just less interested in, in fighting in general. Like, she keeps saying, like, yeah. I came here to be protected. And, like... Not that she's unwilling wholly to fight, but like that she does she doesn't seem like she's not like leading people into battle, kind of you know slayer pit like Kennedy's all about like, yeah, I'm gonna grab this sword and jump in alongside mm-hmm. Buffy kind of stuff, and so Rona's definitely like she might be a potential, but she doesn't have her like heart in the work kind of thing. No. Um, which no. over the seasons is we've seen Buffy in that mode too. Like yeah. that's not even like anti-slayer-ish per se. Like there are definitely, well, and we'll get to talking about faith. Like there have been times where faith too has not been exactly up for like the good fight, you know, yeah, up for a fight, just not necessarily a good one. Um, yeah. Good morally, yeah, and, not and, good like as in tough and yeah. Yeah, and to be fair to Rona, she's not the only potential. Like, she might be the one that like is kind of, you know, voicing her concerns a little more sure. or being put forward as sort of the voice of a of a movement. But um, I think the general, you know, kind of Kennedy aside the general tone of the potentials is that they're nervous and don't feel ready mm-hmm. to be thrown into these battle situations. Um, so yeah, sure. she's, she's hardly the only one. And, you know, I think it's not even just the potentials like Giles definitely is not on board with this plan. Um, For sure. And, uh, and Buffy, puts him in his place of, you know, you're still acting like my teacher, dude. And um, we've uh, moved on from that relationship. So. Right. Go here's teach some girls who still need. Who, go. Who still need here's it. some younger, much less experienced girls who you can share your wisdom with. Um, 
Yeah, so that relationship is still pretty frosty from the previous episode. Um, Trying to kill Spike. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then Xander, who um, voices his concerns, and he's never been shy about that, I don't think. Like telling Buffy when he thinks that a plan is stupid or that she's acting, you know, recklessly or selfishly or whatever. Um, But also kind of gives this big rousing speech about his loyalty to Buffy. Yeah. That um, he might question her decisions, but he doesn't question her. It's, you know, if she makes a mistake... It's not through poor motive. Like, you know, this idea that she doesn't care about people or that she's not trying to do the right thing as she sees it um, is like, that's the thing that he has to sort of, that he's trying to stamp out among the group. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is, I guess, the real, that's the dissenting element. it's not that Buffy doesn't need people around her to disagree with her occasionally. Um, it's more, if, if there's discord, it's more about this, you know, belief among some of the potentials that Buffy is reckless with their lives, that she doesn't care about whether or not they survive because mm. she cares more about, you know, the, the mission or, you know, the bigger picture things. Which is... And not about them as individuals. Which is what you have Robin telling her, right? Like, it's right. the mission that matters, not... Sure. The rest of it. And I don't think even he would say, like, the potentials don't matter, but, like, more like you have to keep your eye on the mission and can't necessarily worry about the fact that some people are going to die. Like... Well, and I think as Buffy articulates it, um, part of, now we can criticize whether this actually works, but part of the reason she's taking them in is for their sake as individuals, is to hone their skills. Um, and that doesn't mean that people won't die, and in fact they do die, but I don't think she takes them in because they're pawns in the larger mission. I think... Right. That, you know, there is the larger mission, but also if she's the only one who can train them, well, the only way to train them is to get them into some action. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, for as poorly as this goes, I think she actually makes a pretty good case for balancing, like, the larger mission and the, and the good of the individual. Like, at least in her intention, that's what she's trying to do. Sure. Sure. Um, Which is what Xander is saying, I think, is that she's thinking of both. And, you know, making sure that the potentials realize that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, which so I mean, and that's sort of Xander like we've seen before of he doesn't wholly agree, but ultimately he, you know, goes along with Buffy's plan. Yeah. Yeah, ultimately he's loyal. Um So speaking of people who pay the price in their eyes, um Let's talk about, I mean, we kind of talked about the fight, the the fact that the fight results in so many casualties, but the biggest one, obviously, from the point of view of the audience is Xander. Um, gets his uh, eye gouged out. Yeesh. And that's like one of the more graphic things they've shown in Buffy, I think. Uh, you know, like is the, sure. the, the, the uh, you know, blood sort of pouring out of his eye socket. That's uh, mm -hmm. definitely a lot grosser than they normally go with those sorts of things. Um, I, do, yeah. I, I don't know how far, I, I don't really want to go too far with this, but um, I forget if it was before we started recording or earlier you kind of alluded to the opening section where he's dreaming about uh the girls sure and um and how that's troubling oh i remember it's in like it in the context of it being a little dated like mm -hmm. you know today that episode Just, or that or scene, it might have been done differently today yeah yeah, like it's it reads as more quote problematic than um might have done when it aired. Um and Just, um th that idea of someone who's a male who's older. Yeah. And who is in something of a power of position and you know, sort of being in con now, I mean So sorry, I, how far did you want to take this again? So the only, I, I couldn't help on the second viewing. I don't necessarily think this was intentional or want to go too far with it. Um, I think we're supposed to see what happens to Xander as like, you know, a tragic consequence of a, calcu a badly calculated decision on Buffy's part. I don't think he like deserves what happens to him. But I couldn't help but think, like, you know, with all the, like, preacher Bible quoting going on, like, you know, of the verse about how if your eye offends it's, you, it's you should better poke to it out. poke out your eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and because the episode starts with them, like, you know, kind of objectifying the potentials, you know, and um, it's I, just hard yeah. not to, it's hard not to read it that way, you know, as, like, is there some symbolic connection between those two things here you know and and you know caleb says you're the one who sees everything um for good and for bad like he sees the good in buffy but he also sees the girls around him um and sure there's a there's pros and cons to that i mean I've never drawn that connection. It's not to say that you can't. Um, certainly, you can draw whatever connections you want. But um, 
I've personally never drawn that, nor have I seen anyone else who has drawn that. Again, not to say that nobody else has done so, just I've not seen it if they have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that seems... Because, like, if we're... If we're seeing that, do we apply that same logic to the other casualties in the fight? Right. And so I guess that would be my one, I think it's a fairly decent argument, but I suppose it's, you know, only one. And so others can assess it as they will. That would be my one sort of argument against that type of reading is that then Mm -hmm. like, what did Molly do to, you know, cause her death? Right. And that's why I'm saying I don't think yeah. it's not a it's not a direct consequence of anything. It's not like this is Xander's like symbolic punishment for like, I think I think if know. it were meant to be, it would be clearer. Yeah. Um I, I mean And that's why I, I don't even necessarily think it's there intentionally. I, um, I honestly think that um so Drew Goddard wrote this episode. Um I suspect it was just him trying to come up with like a funny thing to write about, like in the beginning and sort of probably in the writer's room. It's like, Oh, well, well, Xander, you know, surrounded by all these girls, like probably had a dirty thought or two that just sort of crossed his mind. And then the theme of the episode, like, is it the girls who are dirty or is it Xander? Like, you know what I mean? Like there's maybe like some question there, the girls in the dream. Cause you'll notice too, the girls in the dream are not any of the actual potentials who are in the house. Right. I didn't think they were. Yeah. Well, so you get Rachel Bilson who doesn't appear in any any other episode. Okay. Um, I wasn't sure whether she was going to pop up or not. Um, No, this is like, these are the dream potentials who are not the same as the actual potentials. And I don't know, like, I don't even know how much that is by design or if it's just like, you know, like how much of that is like, oh, we actually, we want to have potential. These are like objectified potentials, right? Like these are not like actual women who are actually around him, but like his sort of dream girls, you know, versions of the women who are around him. Like maybe that was like a definite, or if it was just like the other actresses weren't willing to do it, or for some reason they didn't want those characters to like be saying the things that the dream potential did or what, mm-hmm. like, I, like there's a number of like maybe story or production reasons why you would have like different people, but these are not like the potentials that you see, like then coming in the room and like complaining that the toilet's clogged and that kind of thing. Right. And so I think that there's like maybe a way you could sort of redeem that to say like, this is obviously wrong on Xander's part to be thinking of this, but it's also like, like, can you help your dreams? Like to a certain extent, you kind of can't, right? Like your dreams mm-hmm. are your dreams and he certainly doesn't like act on them or anything. So um, mm-hmm. I suspect that that opening is just like, we need kind of something funny to open with. And if there's, if there's a balance there, it's, it's that it's the humor versus the tragedy of, Right. what happens later not so much a cause and effect of like not right. and i you weren't even saying cause and effect but like uh you know divine retribution for 
you know, mm-hmm. an evil thought because one, it's not divine. It's it's the opposite of divine. It's mm-hmm. profane or whatever you want to call it. Like, it, you know, and it's it's not like exacted on Xander or like to whatever extent that like even Caleb might know that Xander has dirty dreams. Like it's just like his 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 being Caleb's like overall reaction to not just like actual, you know, dirtiness, quote unquote, but like perceived dirtiness is like so way off the mark that like that that sort of reaction and you know punishment couldn't really be seen to be any kind of justice or you know valid you know response to like what is otherwise like really kind of a minor thing Mm -hmm. does that make sense am am i Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah I, I would yet. be more inclined to think that it's it's that humorous <laughs> tone versus the yeah. the tragic tone that happens later is what if, if there's a balance that's what they're trying to balance rather than um, and I think from a writing point of view I think that seems pretty clear I don't think that they're necessarily I think it would be a clearer connection you're right if that was there by design um. I have a feeling that on rewatch, I will find it hard to not make that connection just because once you see it, to me, it's a little hard to unsee. Um, but, um, unless you have your eyes, you know, unless, yes, um, I'm the one who sees everything, but, um, but Yeah. yeah, I don't, I'm not sure that I would go so far as to say that the writers intentionally are foreshadowing anything from that first scene. Um, I think it's one of those accidental things that, and, and there, maybe... you know, there, there are a lot of references to eyes in this episode. Like people say mm. the word eyes like a bunch of times. Um, so I think there is definitely some of the foreshadowing is there of we're going to, you know, bring up, you know, the, the sensitivity and the vulnerability of the eyes a few times yeah. to kind of get you ready. Um, yeah. Yeah. I Yeah. I mean, like, obviously it would be very hard to, you know, from sort of like a crit fit perspective, you know, to prove one way or the other, what the writers may or may not have been thinking. Um, yeah. The, that's not to say that like, yeah, like maybe you totally could, uh, upon review and consideration like come up with with a fairly decent you know literary analysis of you know that that theorizes this is actually something there i guess i would be looking though to see like is there are there other sorts of things that we could look at mm-hmm. you know right to corroborate like, that, other... that isn't just like xander like this one dream that he has, you know, followed by the poke in the eye. Like, it, if there's more of a thread through it, then I think that certainly would make well, a decent argument. I I've, I think there is a thread of, across the series, of Sander occasionally um, objectifying 
the women around him. Oh, um, that's, sure. And that's not to say that that's the sum total of his character, but I think no, that's certainly. I, I think that's certainly who... a motif. Well, I just, I, I, my question would be like, if we intentionally or not, if we read the, the loss of his eye as in some sense fitting, given his, you know, occasional history of, you know, looking at women in that way, um, I'd be curious to then think about like more symbolic connections like that. Like, are right. things that sort of happen to other characters towards the end of the story, like injuries they sustain or whatever their ultimate fates are or things that happen to them, are there those, you know, kind of more symbolic connections back to, you know, motifs that they've had in the past? And, um, and that's, I don't... I, you know, obviously would have to think a lot more about that and probably would have to see through the end of the series to see, like, how consistent is that from character to character. Right. And um, that's kind of what I was getting at before. Like, I, I would want to see, like, like, okay, if this is, like, a physical manifestation and punishment of, like, Xander's sins, then, like, how well does that hold up elsewhere in the series? And, like... If it does, interesting, you know, is it only with men? Is it with women too, you know, and how mm -hmm. does that portray? And then, like, if not, like, then why is Xander sort of singled out? Is it because he's one of the Scoobies? Is it, you know, mm -hmm. like the only male, like, non-adult, at least in the beginning, you know, Scooby? Like, mm -hmm. is that why it happens? But then you have, like, things like Oz coming in you know, at some point here and there and, you know, where do Giles and Spike and Angel even, like, fit in on that scale and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So that that's just sort of, like, like, if it is one-off, like, that's fine, but, like, I just, that to me seems like, okay, like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that if that is, like, the thing that happens to him. So here's, so I had sort of alluded to, like, the thing a thing that i was curious if you knew it happened or not and that and that this is it right like it's his eye getting poked out because like from here on out he wears a patch mm -hmm. and so like there are certainly images out there and almost certainly images that i'm sure you've seen of him wearing an eye yeah. patch and so i'm just curious like if that was something you were yeah, no, aware I, of I definitely... or had even like thought like might be coming on the horizon or I definitely have I feel like more of the images I've seen have been in like the the like the comics um like the I feel like where oh, okay. I've noticed it is when there's like you know cover like artwork shared for like a comic or like a cartoon or something so I mean I kind of intentionally don't look at that stuff too closely, but I think part of me maybe just assumed that that was something like to do with the comic storyline, or I don't really sure. know what I thought, but um, yeah, yeah. and that's but, fair. Um, but I have seen it in reference. Um, like now that I've seen this, I I realize that I've seen that a few times. 
Um, I don't know if I can remember seeing an eye patch on live action Xander, but maybe I have and just didn't, like maybe I just sort of glossed over it. I won't bring up one particular thing that like, I'm pretty sure you must have seen at some point that is okay. still in a future episode, but okay. um, in which he would, of course, certainly have his iPad on. But anyway. Sure. Uh, the other thing is like, I don't, do you follow, um, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Nicholas Brendan at all? Uh, I think I do. Yeah. On like, um, social media and stuff. So like, like Twitter, I think so. I, I know it's on Instagram. I would assume these, there's, these are on Twitter too. Cause I just assume that like celebrities share all the photos everywhere, like of themselves. Um, but he's been traveling yeah. around like to his various events and stuff that he goes to with two little pop vinyl figures of his character of Xander one of which has an iPad. So there's like the before and after like pop vinyl, like bobblehead figures that he's taken with him. And I mean, dozens, if not more of pictures of like these two little pop vinyl and like all these little situations, like one with an iPad and one without two. So that was, that was like also, what, but I guess that's along the lines of like, if it, if it's something that happened in the comics or sort of in extra you know, Buffy materials beyond the show, then you maybe wouldn't have put together. Yeah, like I think when it's like, you know, cartoony stuff, I yeah. I just didn't really like register what it is that I was seeing. So, um, yeah, I'm sure now I'll see it everywhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was like that. Yeah, like, will you be able to unsee it? Yeah, yeah. Or like, you know how you had like seen the hush monsters but didn't really know like what they were or like what happened or... right exactly um yeah um all right we're a little over i did want to mention faith i don't know that there's a ton with faith it's more just sort of bringing her back into the story here and kind of catching everybody up with what she's been up to and everything. Mm -hmm. um, there's some expected sort of, you know, tension with Buffy. The two of them don't entirely always get along, but, um, but like definitely in a much better place than they've been previously and mm -hmm. seem to be kind of, okay with working together and being allies and kind of being on the same side again. Um, and then uh, yeah, I they, always forget when... pulls for the good guys now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and she kind of relishes the fact that, like, she's, like, one of the good guys. Um, like, this is a fun experiment. She's, she's, she's going to try for a while. Yeah. Yeah, see how it sticks. Um so I always forget when characters haven't met each other, but we're reminded that Spike and Faith met, but only in the like body swap episode, yes. um, which I wouldn't have necessarily remembered. I, I couldn't remember whether they'd ever cross paths or not. Um, so of, of 
naturally there's some sexual tension between the two of them because why not? Um, sure. You know, and, and of course that makes, you know, Buffy a little well, and uneasy both, to see, like come down and see them kind of sitting like really close to each other. And They both had their, you know, dalliances with the dark side as, you know, Andrew sort of reminds us, right? Oh, they have a ton in common. Yeah. Um, um, they're both, they're both reformed. Um, also, and they're even a little competitive about it. Like, Maybe you haven't heard I'm reformed. I reformed way before you did. You know, like it's right. kind of like who's more reformed now. Um so just to throw up so there is a DVD commentary um for this episode and in there they do talk about uh Marty Knoxon actually wrote that scene. Um sort of where they're like in the in the basement as potential spinoff material of like that mm -hmm. at, at some point there was discussion that maybe there would be a spinoff of faith and spike like in hmm. their own series um that obviously hmm. didn't happen and we'll talk about sort of what happens to faith and spike maybe after buffy like when we get to that point um in time but right uh, but they wanted to maybe test out what kind yeah, of chemistry do they have and yeah, yeah there was some stuff there um, the other thing, I don't, and sorry if you were going to bring this up, but I know we're kind of over, so I just want to mention it real quick. Um, as far as people meeting each other, um, Faith and Dawn had never been in a scene together till now. That was the other one where it's like, I'm pretty yeah. sure they haven't, but um, but then but they it, act like they have, so it's always hard to remember. Right. And and of course, that's the thing, right, is is Dawn's whole presence is that right. it they gets rewritten into yeah. everyone's memories that she's always sort of been there. And so, of course, right. when, I mean, on both sides, like Dawn remembers all the crap that Buffy and Faith went through before. And, and mm -hmm. you know, Faith, of course, remembers her as a little kid. Um, mm -hmm. Right. So. It's always funny how, um, you know, and it, I like it how committed they are to that premise. Mm -hmm. Like seasons later, it's like, and it's like, we don't even need to comment on it. It's just like, you know, everybody knows like, oh, this is what happens when you reintroduce a character. They have to sort of, right. you know, act like they knew Dawn was there all along. It's funny. Yep. So. Um. Okay. I don't think... Did do you have anything else important to bring up before we? No, just I mean, obviously, you know. Again, if you, if we're looking at that opening, you know, with Xander and and the potentials as a sort of oh hey band name, um, as a sort of like more lighthearted, you know, uh, opening. Obviously, we end very not lightheartedly, and mm -hmm. yeah, like with a major defeat here on Buffy's part mm -hmm. after not just like leading them into battle, but convincing them to go to battle. Like, right. So there's, it's not even that like, like it's one thing when you have like a bunch of willing fighters and they get defeated and whatever. It's another thing when it's like, they weren't even that willing to begin with, but you kind of browbeat them into joining you. And then like, well, they get beat more than just among their brows to, you know, in the end. And so, um, mm -hmm. 
yeah, all of all of the things that all of the people said against her kind of were right. <laughs> and so like where does that leave leave them at this point? Yeah. Um yeah. But we won't find that out for a few weeks yet <laughs> because we've got two episodes of Angel to get through, um, which is fine because like now we get to go back and see where Fred is and um, yes, right. what happens after Jasmine has announced to the entire world who she is um, through the magic of TV. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> anywho, that's where we'll be next week. Sounds good. See you then.